the, the beast that lives in Babylon. And to do that, we're going to study uh, Daniel chapter number four this morning and talk about uh, a man named Nebuchadnezzar, the evil king Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who has a fall uh, from power in this chapter. If you remember, Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man in the world. He was the, uh, the king, the leader of Babylon, and uh, he had everything that you could imagine at his disposal. But here in this chapter, we see that he has a fall from power, and in fact, he becomes the worst version of himself. In this chapter, Nebuchadnezzar loses his mental uh, faculties, and he starts thinking and acting as though he is an animal. He starts believing that he is a beast. In fact, I want you to see the severity of it. Notice verse number 33. Everybody with me so far? Notice verse 33. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Now, the question that I have is, how did we get here, okay? How did the most powerful man in the world completely lose it at this level, okay? How did we get to verse number 33, where Nebuchadnezzar is just acting like a beast, acting like an animal? And really, the answer to that question, the reason Nebuchadnezzar was brought to this point was because of his own pride, because of his own arrogance, And the reality today that we have to recognize is that there is an ugly beast that lives within all of us, and that beast is called pride. Pride lives within all of us, and if we don't learn to tame the beast, if we don't learn to get victory over our pride, it will destroy us from the inside out. Uh, The Bible talks often about this, Proverbs chapter number 11, verse number 2, when pride comes, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. Charles Spurgeon said this, Pride made the boaster, speaking of Nebuchadnezzar here, pride made the boaster a beast, as once before it made an angel a devil. And this is a sobering reminder for all of us today. Can I just tell you that the greatest battle that you will fight in Babylon is not the battle against the media. It's not the battle against the entertainment industry. Uh, It is not the battle against a a political affiliation. The greatest battle that you will fight in Babylon is the battle against your own pride. Because pride lies at the root of all sin. In fact, C.S. Lewis said this, pride is the mother hen under which all other sins are hatched. And see, we live in a culture that has become inundated and infatuated and even obsessed with self. In fact, in 2018, we had to invent a new word. There was a new word that was invented in 2018. The word was uh, selfitis. And the word selfitis is describing someone that is obsessed with taking selfies, okay? How many of you have ever caught someone taking a selfie before? How many of you have ever taken a selfie before? Okay, many of you are not telling the truth in God's house this morning, okay? And, uh, and uh, we have so many people taking pictures of themselves that we had to invent a new word, selfitis. I was reading uh, recently that 84% of Americans believe that. Watch this. 84% of Americans believe enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. As long as you are happy, as long as you are enjoying yourself, as long as uh, that is your goal, then that is what really matters in life. As long as you are enjoying uh, yourself. Uh, You know, the Westminster Shorter Catechism is a creed. It's a statement of faith that followers of Jesus have have used throughout the centuries. And uh, it it really talks about the tenets of, of what we believe. And the very first thing in the Westminster Shorter Catechism is that the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. 
But what we have done in our culture is we have inverted that statement. And we often believe that the chief end of man is to enjoy and glorify ourselves forever. Where we have become infatuated with what's going on in our lives and what's going on with just us. But I want to encourage you today that life is so much bigger than us. And life is so much bigger than our dreams and our aspirations and what we have going on. Can I just remind you today that we were created not to live for our own glory. But we were created to live for the glory of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he is worthy of all of our praise. He's worthy of all of our worship. And he deserves our utmost. Life is not about us. It's about him and his glory. And so the question that I have is how can we identify this blind spot of pride? Because the reality is, is, is pride is so easy to see in someone else, right? Uh, you can spot pride in someone else a mile away. That person just loves themselves. They are just into themselves. Uh, that person is filled with pride. Uh, but pride, can I tell you, is the ultimate blind spot, it's so easy to identify pride in someone else, but often, rarely do we pinpoint the pride in our own lives. And uh, the other day, Katie was at the church here, uh, my wife Katie with me, and we were working on something, and, and she left uh, for a minute, and uh, she was uh, heading home, and I got a phone call from her about two minutes later, and I thought, that's strange, she just left, and now she's calling me, and I said, hello, and Katie said, I just ran into Seth's truck with my car, and I was thinking, oh no, and I said, how fast were you guys going, and she said, well... He was parked in the parking lot, and, um, and uh, I was backing out, and she did not see Seth's truck, and she backed right into Seth's truck. And thankfully, Seth's truck was okay. I cannot say the same for our van. Uh, there is a dent in the back, and uh, our kids really got a kick out of that. You know, they always want to talk about when mom got in a, a car accident in the parking lot of the church. And uh, uh, that is a reminder for all of us today uh, that we all have blind spots, right? And uh, uh, there are times when we think that we're heading in the right direction, uh, but we cannot always see uh, what is around us. And so how can we tame the beast that is in Babylon? How can we tame the beast that is within us? How can we get victory over pride? Well, to answer that question, we come to this uh, really amazing story in Daniel chapter number four. Uh, Daniel chapter number four is actually written by Nebuchadnezzar. It's the only chapter in the Bible, in your Bible, that is written by a pagan king. Nebuchadnezzar writes this chapter as a testimony of what God did in his life. And so Nebuchadnezzar writes this, and he ultimately tells us how we can get victory over pride, how we can tame the beast. Is anybody interested this morning in how we can not live for our glory, but for God's glory? Okay, and so today what I want to do is I want to give us four ways that we can tame the beast, if you're taking notes. Four ways to tame the beast. Number one, we have to weed out thoughts of self-sufficiency. If you want to tame the beast that lives within, weed out thoughts of self-sufficiency. Now, I want to pick up our text. I want to encourage you to keep your Bible open. I'm going to pick it up in verse number four. Notice what the Bible says, Daniel chapter four, verse number four. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts upon my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Are you getting the idea that Nebuchadnezzar loved to talk about himself this morning? Okay. Uh, he, he was just relaxing one day and he was just flourishing in his own kingdom. He was laying in his bed and he was just thinking, man, life is great. Uh, everything is going well. Just kind of enjoying his kingdom. And his attitude was an attitude of self-sufficiency. Uh, his attitude was this idea that, man, I'm doing great. Look at what I have done. You know, C.S. Lewis said that humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. 
And here is Nebuchadnezzar, and he's thinking all about Nebuchadnezzar. He's thinking about his kingdom, his, his, his successes. By the way, uh, the devil knows something. If he cannot destroy you with pain, he'll try with prosperity. Here is Nebuchadnezzar enjoying and basking in his own successes, in his own prosperity. And often we are vulnerable when, when God is good to us and when we experience blessings and successes in life, we become vulnerable. Why? Because often in our successes, we start to listen to our own press. I am doing pretty good. I did build this. I did make that. Uh, look at this, what I have done. And, and we will start to think, I'm a self-made man. I, I've done this. I worked hard for this. Can I remind you that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Everything good in your life is because there is a loving God in heaven that provided you the ability uh, to uh, bring that to pass. God is the ultimate giver of good gifts. And here is Nebuchadnezzar, and he is struggling with his own Self-sufficiency. You know, the problem with self-sufficiency is you cannot be self-sufficient and God-dependent at the same time. If we are self-sufficient, I'm good. I don't need anything. But we are commanded to walk and to live by faith and anything in our lives that we do apart from faith, the Bible says it's sin. And so we have to ask the question, am I self-sufficient or am I God-dependent? 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And so it's not about how great we are, it's about how great God is. Do you believe that this morning? And so Nebuchadnezzar, he's resting and flourishing in his palace, and then he has a dream, okay? How many of you have ever had a really odd dream? Anybody like that this morning? And uh, Nebuchadnezzar is about to have another odd dream. We saw a dream that he had in Daniel chapter 2. Well, now he's going to have another dream, and I want to read the dream in its entirety. Would that be okay this morning? Anybody else think that would be okay this morning? Okay, just want to make sure before I read it. All right, verse number 10. Uh, we're going to start, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar is flourishing in his palace, and he's just kind of enjoying it all, and then he has a dream. Okay, verse number 10. It says this. Thus were the visions of my head in my bed. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and the height thereof was great. So right off the bat, he's having this dream about a great, massive, large tree. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth, and the leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beasts of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of heaven dwelt in the bows thereof, and all the flesh was fed of it. And so this amazing uh, tree, this, this large tree was providing uh, shade and shelter for the animals and providing fruit and sustenance. And really this was a picture, as we'll see, of Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. His kingdom was, was, was massive. It was providing food and it was providing sustenance for the people around him. And, uh, and so this was a large fruit-producing tree, verse 13. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher. In other words, that was his word for an angel. An angel, and holy one, came down from heaven. He cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree and cut off its branches. Shake off his leaves and scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of the roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth." Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him. And let seven times pass over him, seven periods of time, seven years, verse 17. This matter is by the decree of the watcher, and the demand by the word of the holy ones, to the intent that the living may know, watch this, that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men. 
and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth up over it the beast of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now thou, O Belteshazzar. Now, now who is Belteshazzar? That's Daniel. If you remember, right when Daniel was taken into captivity in Babylon, they gave them new names. And we talked about this in the very first week of this series. They gave Daniel a new name, uh, Belteshazzar. And so Nebuchadnezzar has this dream about the tree that's getting cut down, and he wants to know what it means. And so he calls in Belteshazzar. He calls in Daniel and said, uh, tell me what this means. Uh, give the interpretation thereof, verse 18, for as much as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto, the, unto me the interpretation, but thou art able, I believe you can do it, Daniel, for the spirit of the holy gods is in thee. And so Nebuchadnezzar is thinking, man, I need to know uh, what this dream means. So Daniel, uh, you tell me what this dream means, uh, what this dream means. Now, notice Daniel's response, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished, he was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. And the king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble thee. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. Daniel gives this amazing response to the wicked, evil king Nebuchadnezzar. He says, I wish this dream was for your enemies and not you. Now, this was a statement of compassion which is astounding. Why in the world would Daniel have compassion on an evil, wicked king that tried to kill him multiple times? Nebuchadnezzar was an evil, ungodly king. And yet when he has this dream about how he is going to fall and lose his power and Daniel finds out about it, he's not glad. If you or I were Daniel and we heard this dream, we might be like, yes, this means that we get to go back home. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to lose his power. He's going to lose his kingdom. This, uh, Daniel could have got, grabbed his phone and texted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, guys, guess what? Uh, we're going to get to go back home. This is going to be great. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar just had a dream. He's going to lose his kingdom. He's going to lose his power. But rather, instead, Daniel says, I wish this wasn't going to happen to you. He's showing compassion. If anyone had reason to have hatred and bitterness and vitriol towards Nebuchadnezzar, it was Daniel. I wonder what would happen if our culture, in our church, if we started viewing the culture less with condemnation and more with compassion. See, what Daniel does here is he is demonstrating compassion, but what he does next is he speaks the truth. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, I wish this dream wasn't going to come to pass for you, but here's what the dream means, and he gives the interpretation. And this was a difficult interpretation. Essentially, what Daniel was saying is judgment is coming upon you. And so here's what we see Daniel demonstrate, which Daniel demonstrated time and time again in the book of Daniel. Everybody with me? Because this is so important if we're going to thrive in Babylon. What he does is he speaks the truth after demonstrating love. What he does is he speaks the truth in love. You cannot survive and thrive in Babylon if you do not learn the ability to speak the truth in love. As a church, we have to be grounded in our convictions, but gracious in our conversation. Daniel was showing compassion to Nebuchadnezzar, but also he was not afraid to speak the truth and to stand for the truth. So notice what he says. Uh, notice verse number uh, 20. He says this. The tree that thou sawest which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. Under the beasts of the field dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation. Watch this, verse 22. It is thou, O king. 
He makes it very clear. Just like uh, Nathan the prophet in uh, the book of uh, 2 Samuel where he confronts uh, David in his sin with Bathsheba and he says, uh, you are the man, David. It's, it's you that's been caught in sin. Now Daniel looks at Nebuchadnezzar and says, it's you. You are the one that is going to fall. You are the one that is going to experience judgment. It is thou, O king, thou art grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reach unto the heaven and thy dominion to the end of the earth. And so Daniel has this confrontation here with Nebuchadnezzar. And this leads us to our second thought. Number two today, if you're taking notes, if we want to tame the beast within, number two, acknowledge who is really king. You have to acknowledge who is really king in your life. Now, notice what it says in verse 24. This is the interpretation, O king. This is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king. So Daniel says, here's what this dream means. Verse 25. That they that drive thee from men, thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass of oxen. You're going to turn into an animal, Nebuchadnezzar. And they shall wet thee with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over thee. This is going to happen for seven years. Watch this. Until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Until Nebuchadnezzar, you can acknowledge who is really king, you're going to experience this judgment. You, you must recognize who is Lord over your life, who is Lord over all the earth. Until you can acknowledge who is really king. Uh, seven years ago, our family was on vacation, and uh, we decided that we were going to go out uh, for a nice dinner. And so we went out to dinner, and this was before Blakely. We, before we had Blakely, it was just Luke in a car seat. And uh, I think Liv was, was maybe three or four at the time. And uh, we went into this restaurant, and they sat Liv at the head of the table. They sat Liv right at the, right at the head of the table there on the end. And uh, we kind of played into that. We were kind of joking with Liv about that. We are like, wow, you're at the head of the table, Liv. You are, you are important. You're, you're prominent. You're sitting at the head, head of the table. And Liv started to think that that was great. And you could tell she started to believe that that really meant something. And so uh, before we really knew it, she stood up on her chair. And she declared to the restaurant, I am captain of the table. And as soon as she said, I'm captain of the table, the chair slipped out from underneath her and she fell and hit her head right on the table. The glasses bounced up and everyone looked over and she started crying. And uh, uh, thankfully she was okay, but she was no longer captain of the table. Okay, she, she stayed seated the rest, of that, the rest of that dinner. You know, the reality is, if we're honest, all of us want to be the captain of our own lives. All of us want to be the king of our own lives. Which brings us to the question that we have to answer honestly today. Who is the ruler of your life? Because if it's you, there's no room for God. And be careful if you say, well, God is, because if it's God, then there's no room for you. And so who is the ruler of your life? Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you are going to experience this judgment until you can acknowledge who really is king. And I just want to remind you today that our king, he has a name, and his name is Jesus. And the Bible says that in all things, he might have the preeminence. There's a difference between the preeminence and prominence. Jesus is not just to have the prominent position in our lives. He is to have the preeminent position. He is to have first place in our lives. And this judgment was going to happen to Nebuchadnezzar until he could acknowledge who is king. First Timothy chapter 6 verse 14 says this, that you keep this commandment without spot, 
blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ appearing, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can I tell you today that there is only one true king? It's not in the government. It's not ourselves. It's not in our lives. The one true king, his name is Jesus Christ, and he is worthy of all of our worship. And that is something that we cannot just declare with our lips that we don't demonstrate with our lives. If you're going to say it, we have to live it. If Jesus is king, then he deserves first place in your marriage. He deserves first place in raising your children. He deserves first place in your schedule. If he is king, then let him be king. And so we will never be able to tame the beast until we acknowledge who is really king. Here's the third, third way today that we can tame the beast. Number three, speak less and listen more. Speak less and listen more. Notice it in verse number 27. Wherefore, O king, let my counsel, so, so what Daniel does here is he says, okay, king, I gave you the interpretation, it's not looking good, but let me give you some advice. How many of you have ever had some advice that you didn't ask for? Anybody like that? Thank you so much for your opinion. Daniel says, I know you didn't ask for it. Let me give you some advice. Verse 27. Let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins by righteousness, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor if it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. And so Daniel offers this counsel and this advice. Can I encourage you as you are traversing through Babylon, as you are seeking to thrive in this culture, uh, to make sure that you have times in your life where you are actively seeking godly counsel and godly advice. It's so amazing to me when people make life-altering, major life decisions without seeking any counsel, without getting any advice, without getting any spiritual guidance uh, in that decision-making process. And here's Daniel, and he's humbly saying, hey, I can give you some counsel. Here's what I believe that you should do. He tells Nebuchadnezzar to do two things. First, he says you need to repent. Did you see it in verse 27? He says, break off your sins. You need to repent. Uh, the word repent means to make a 180-degree turn. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you're going this direction. You need to humble yourself and go this direction. Did you know that not one time in the Bible we are commanded uh, to ask God to humble us? By the way, that would be a very dangerous prayer to pray. We are commanded over and over again to humble ourselves. In other words, humility is a choice that we have to choose to put humility in our lives. And so what Daniel says is, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to break off thy sins. You need to repent. But not only does he give him counsel to repent, he then gives him counsel to redirect his thoughts. I want you to see it in verse number 27. Because if we're going to weed out thoughts of self-sufficiency, there's going to be a vacancy in our mind. So we need to replace those thoughts and redirect those thoughts. Is everybody tracking with me this morning? So we have to redirect those thoughts. Notice it in verse 27. He says, wherefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable unto thee, and break off thy sins, there's repentance, and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. So in other words, Daniel says, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar, you've been thinking an awful lot about yourself, about your palace, about your flourishing, about your successes. It's time that you redirect your thoughts and start thinking about those that are less fortunate than you. What would happen in our church if we decided to redirect our thoughts and started to think about those that are less fortunate than us, those that do not know about the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus Christ? Hey, if you want to tame the beast, redirect your thoughts and start recognizing, hey, there are people in Rancho Cucamonga and Ontario and Fontana and Upland and Claremont and Rialto that need the good news of the gospel, and life is not about us. It's about those that need Jesus Christ, and we're going to redirect our thoughts, and so uh, that's exactly what 
what Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, shift your thinking. Think about those that are less fortunate than you. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 21 says this. He that despiseth his neighbor sins, but he that has mercy on the poor, happy is he. And so we have to redirect our thoughts. You know, today, this morning, if you have money in your bank and if you have change in your car, you are in the top 8% most wealthy in the world. Think about that. And so the reality is we are the rich, that God has blessed us beyond measure. And today we need to redirect our thoughts to those that are less fortunate than us if we're going to tame the beast. Now, notice verse number 28. We're going to continue on here, verse 28. And this all came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, if God said it, it will come to pass. Did you notice in verse 27, it all happened. This, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 29, and at the end of 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. Did you catch 12 months? So Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. Daniel gives him counsel, and then 12 months passes, a whole year. Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, nothing's going to happen to me. <laughs> I'm not going to turn into a beast. This, this speaks to two things. It speaks to the procrastination of man, but it also speaks to the patience of God. Aren't you thankful that God is patient with us? And that God gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to repent. He gave him 12 months to think about this counsel from Daniel. 12 months every day he was giving Nebuchadnezzar opportunity to humble himself, to repent, to turn from his wicked ways. 12 months. But Nebuchadnezzar said, it's going to be fine. Kept on pushing it off, pushing it off. And uh, he, he didn't want to respond. Notice verse number 30. The king spake and said, is not this great Babylon? He couldn't help himself. <laughs> one day, after all this warning, after all the, all the dreams and all the fiasco, one day he's walking around. He just can't help himself. He's like, I am awesome. <laughs> like, just look at this place. Is not this great Babylon? Which, by the way, uh, from an outward perspective, Babylon was very impressive. Nine out of every ten bricks in Babylon were stamped with Nebuchadnezzar's name. And so everywhere he looked, he was reminded about how great he was. Uh, Babylon had all kinds of temples. In fact, 62 temples to the goddess of Ishtar. Uh, Babylon had a 10,000-seat banquet hall. Uh, Babylon had the hanging gardens, which were considered one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Babylon was impressive from an outward perspective. And Nebuchadnezzar was walking around one day. He couldn't help himself. Look at how great of a kingdom that I have built. Verse 31. While the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom departed. The kingdom is departed from thee. In a moment, in an instant, it was taken away. Verse 32. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and they shall make thee to eat the grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and it giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And so what happens is Nebuchadnezzar has this condition where he uh, believes that he is a beast. He's overcome with insanity. This was a humiliating time for Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, the only alternative to humility is humiliation. Pride always goes before a fall. And so Nebuchadnezzar here is now experiencing the judgment of ignoring the warning from God. And today this leads us to our fourth and final thought. Do you have one more in you this morning? The fourth way that we can tame the beast. Celebrate the goodness of God. So we have to weed out thoughts of self-sufficiency. We have to acknowledge who is really king. We have to speak less and listen more. I'm going to receive that counsel. 
and then we celebrate the goodness of God. Notice verse number 34 today as we close. And at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven. I love the conclusion of this story. He says, I lifted up mine eyes to heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him that lives forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom is from generation to generation. I love that his transformation took place when he looked up. He looked up to the heavens. The Bible says in Psalm 121, verse number one, I will lift up mine eyes to the hills. From whence cometh my help? My help comes from the Lord which made heaven and earth. I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar knew that verse, but I'm thankful that he looked up. So often in life, we need a new perspective to look up and to fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity. He said, a proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. So often we are busy looking down on things, looking down on others. What Nebuchadnezzar did was he fixed his eyes towards the heavens. He looked up. Verse 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he that doeth according to the will of the army of heaven among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Verse 36. And at the time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me. My counselors, my lords, sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom. And excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise. You notice how he's replacing his pride with praise. If you want to remedy your pride, reignite your praise. He starts focusing not on him, he starts focusing on the one that created him. I, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 37, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways judgment and those that walk in pride, he is able to abase. He replaced his pride with praise. Now, this morning, I wanna close with a few thoughts. Our ultimate example of humility is found in Jesus Christ. Our ultimate example of how we can tame the beast is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter two, verse number six says this, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. Everybody say a servant. And was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you believe it today? Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is King. He is our humble King. Now, there's a detail in Daniel chapter 4 that I want us to see we can't afford to miss, okay? There's a detail. It's mentioned three times. Notice it first in verse 15. You still have your Bible open? Notice it, verse 15. In his dream, it says this, Nevertheless, leave the stump. Leave the stump. Notice verse 23. 
And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, hew down the tree and destroy it, yet leave the stump. That was verse 26. And whereas they commanded to leave the stump of the tree roots. The stump is a representation that God would revive that cut down tree. That the tree was not completely uprooted. That God was not done with the tree yet. This is a beautiful picture of the grace and the mercy and the love of God. And today, if you're thinking, I'm too far gone, I've messed up too great, I have some regrets, I've done some things that I'm not proud of, can I tell you that God is not done with you yet? That you might be down, but you are not out. His mercy is still available. His grace is still available. In fact, our God is rich in mercy. He longs to demonstrate his mercy. He longs to give new beginnings. The stump is still there. Hey, God is not done with you yet. Today, this is how we are saved. We recognize that it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It's according to his mercy that he saves us. It's all about his grace towards us, his mercy towards us. We see a beautiful picture of God's mercy. But you know, there's a couple of verses that I skipped. I don't know if you noticed, but I didn't read verses one through three. The very first few verses of this chapter. Verses one through three. And I want to close by reading these verses because I believe it ties everything together. Notice it, verse one. Nebuchadnezzar, the king unto all people, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. Nebuchadnezzar is experiencing now peace. Verse two, I thought it good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought before me. I thought it'd be good if I just told you a little story. Verse three, how great are his signs and how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion is from generation to generation. Nebuchadnezzar went through this humiliating experience and when he came out on the other side, what did he want to do? He wanted to tell everybody. What we might want to do if this chapter were in our lives is let's go ahead and skip this one. I'll tell you a different story. If Nebuchadnezzar was alive today, he'd want to post it on social media. He'd want to do a video, a Facebook Live, a TikTok, whatever. He, he would want to tell everybody about the lessons that he learned. Why? Because he discovered a peace that passes understanding. Can I tell you something? This is one of the most remarkable conversions in all of Scripture. I believe that when we get to heaven, we're going to meet Nebuchadnezzar. He discovered this peace that passes all understanding might be thinking of someone in your life, they'll never become a Christian. They'll never give their life to Christ. They hate religion. They're never going to be saved. There's nothing too hard for our God. He is mighty to save. And he can transform us from the inside out. And today, if you've never experienced the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus, we can humbly come before the creator God of the universe and receive his grace, his mercy, and we too can be saved. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.